Welcome to Warriors Truth. This is Doug Presley. We're continuing where we left off. It is 1-17-2021. And we are going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. And go right ahead with the thought of the week. Okay, I okay, I have the thought of the week. Mm-hmm. Saved versus safe. Some are promoting a gospel that really does not permanently save at all. I need to make sure we are clear since salvation is a matter of life and death. If a person tells me it is possible for them to lose their salvation and still claims they are saved, maybe they should modify to say they are safe. For them, the word safe seems more appropriate than saved. If you claim to be saved and at life's end you are somehow lost, then it really does not matter what you claim for yourself in this in life. The bottom line is you are still lost. This remains, this reminds me of a baseball analogy where a runner is trying to steal a base. The runner takes off and sprints from first and slides hard into second base. As the dust settles, all eyes and ears are focused on the empire to render his verdict. Dramatically, he shouts, safe. The runner then stands up and dusts himself off. He is safe for now, but has not crossed home plate. Some view their salvation in just this way. They feel it is, it is possible that they might get caught stealing a base and be thrown out. Therefore, there is always some work that must maintain that they must maintain for God to ultimately keep them saved. However, the testimony of the word of God is the moment we believe in Christ, you are saved. You have eternal life that will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. John chapter 5, verses two, verse 24. Also consider it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. That's found in Ephesians 2.8. So, you are not on base at all with Christ. You are already home. Our Savior already went around the bases and crossed home plate for you a long time ago. He is our Savior, so why not allow him to do what he does best. There are only two conditions in life. Either you are saved or lost, not saved. If you are saved, then you are saved from being lost forever. And to this point, you are lost. Up, up to, I'm sorry. And to this point, if you are lost, you are were never saved to begin with. So, you are saved 
So are you saved or are you safe? Um, I have a short commentary on the start of the week, and it's found in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It says, and I'm just going to abbreviate it, it says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth of renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified, we have grace that we may become heirs, having hope, having the hope of eternal life. So there's nothing that we ourselves as unregenerate man can do. Being born in Adam, all died. All includes the entire human race. There is nothing. And in addition to that, there's nothing that we righteously did to be saved. It's a gift from God, as Ephesians 2.8 states. And not only that, God the Father is more than satisfied with the Son's work. So if you trust in God, that's the end. That's the most important one-shot decision that one can make in this life. I'll turn this over to Dwight, who's going to offer our prayer for today. Thank you very much, Pray. All right, let us bow our heads in prayer. Uh, I think we have a couple special requests already on the table that we've uh, talked about before we start Q&A. So, dear Father God, we ask you to comfort the hearts of those who are experiencing loss in this world. Um, loss certainly tears at our hearts. Um, to, to lose people that were close to us is, is just um, it's, it's a lot. A lot of sorrow in that. I prayed for Michael and his wife as they recently lost their son, who passed away abruptly over this past weekend. Uh, pray for all those who have illnesses and and uh, losses that we experience, and I know um, others have been attending several funerals, not just one. And I also know that there's horrific stories about people dying from COVID-19, and coronavirus seems to be still spreading out of control. Um, but God, we know that you know everything and that you have a plan for everything and this is within your control. We're not surprised by what is going on around us. Though we may see natural disasters escalating and the whole world groaning in pain, we know that your plan is solid, is sure. We have a guarantee of your Holy, your Holy Spirit given to us as a deposit of our inheritance. And we ask now that you would take the time to help us open the eyes of our hearts to clearly see the inheritance that we have awaiting for us and the experience of eternity that we can have in this life on the battlefield, even before we are called home to you. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, uh, Fred and Dwight, for taking care of those important matters. Um, we would like to continue in John 15, 18, where we left off in our context of the chapter of John 15. 
Uh, it says, if the world hates you, then keep in mind it hated me first. You have notes? Let's take a look at our notes and you can follow along with me. We have all come from someplace in this world. And we have this familiar feeling of home here. After all, what else do we know except what we have experienced in this world? This world has, has been our home, and we know no other. However, God is asking us to embrace another reality. This is a tough one for us to understand, but we are not left to our own power to do so. What God has done for us does not immediately dawn on us at first. We must grow into this understanding with the Holy Spirit of Truth leading and guiding us into all truth. Obviously, we will need humility to learn something that no human being ever had to had to prior in this age, or and every any human being ever had to prior to this age. As it is, quote, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. That's John 15, 19b. We'll get to that verse. But as we look at these verses, we uh, will necessarily need to depend on the context to fully understand them. And we will. That's what we will do. So let's see if we can take it apart. It's only a, it's a short verse, but uh, we do need to understand our relationship to the world and what God has made of us. First point is, if the world hates you. And I say not if the world hates you, but since the world hates you, because it is a fact. It is not uh, uh, potential that the world might hate you. It's not if the world hates you or if it doesn't hate It does hate us. It's a fact. And, and this is a point of logic. This is part of a debater's technique. We all use it. If one thing is true, then we can draw conclusions from that one thing. And that's how we, uh, we, we develop logic. Right? If the world hates you, then keep in mind it hated me first. We're going to get to that second phrase, but it's logical if the world hates you. So, but notice the if there means since. It, it is a fact. It is not questioning whether if the world hates us or not. Next thought, point B, is why does the world hate us? And when I say them, us, <clears throat> I'm going to keep saying them, us, because we, we, by extension, are also those who are called and chosen, who are one with Jesus, and therefore one with the Father, and not of this world, and, and all of that. We, we are part of the group that the disciples, um, we believe on Jesus through their message. So by extension, this refers to us, but by uh, direct apl application, this applies to the disciples who were standing there looking at Jesus and he was talking to them. 
But even though he was talking to them, we have to note that the context seems to say that, uh, you know, their separation from the world and the whole thing really doesn't begin until Pentecost. So if you go back and you look at 14, chapter 14, that is, and you see that Jesus led up to this whole point by telling them that he was departing and that the Holy Spirit was going to come, the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter, and that he would, uh, there were things that would happen. Not only would they, Christ would be in them and the Father would be in them, but, he, but they would also be in Christ and so forth. This new relationship, never before seen, would also be a part of their reality. And he says they would know it. He said, on that day you will know, this is John 14, 20, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Not, you will have to believe it by faith, you have to just hope that this is so, you will know it. And so the reality of the church age began at Pentecost. So even though he was talking to disciples, really, they were still part of Israel. But once they uh, got to Pentecost, which was not many days from this point, then that baptism of the Spirit allows them now to be a part of this new age with all of its new dynamics, one of which we're going to be talking about today the fact that they are not part of this world anymore. And Jesus says, I have chosen you. Right. So there, there's four things to consider. Uh, let's, let's look at these four things because I ask the question, why does the world hate them, the disciples, or us? So let's look at the first one. They, us, do not belong to the world anymore. Well, if you're different, that's a reason for people to to signal um, hatred. It's just the way the sin nature works. Anybody different from them, uh, and we can see this with even within groups, they distinguish them, they hate them. In fact, even in the times of biblical times, we've got Jews against Gentiles, Gentiles against Jews, Gentiles against Gentiles, Jews against Jews. Uh, there was just division everywhere you could look. So there was, it's easy for uh, the fact that we don't belong to the world anymore really has spiritual implications, we have to note. Because it is not just some box that we checked. Are you in the world? Check. Are you not in the world? Check. It is to say that God has made a decision and that decision has uh, consequences in time, results in time. One of the results of, of that decision that God chose us in him before the creation of the world, that's the second point, is the baptism of the Spirit. The fact that he selected you to be born in this particular time so that when you believed in Christ, that you were baptized into Christ. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, says 2 Corinthians 5.17. So all of that is the knowledge of, of this, but the power of it does not rest with us. 
we're not of the when we read the scripture we're not to be of this world that's not our doing we we didn't uh, we don't separate ourselves from the world and decide that that's not who we are and all of that god is the one who did that for us and how you respond to it or not does not depend on whether you are or not of this world god is the one who chose you in him before the creation of the world you're not of this world whether you like it or not that's what I'm trying to say. You might say, well, I'm proud of this world. I, I, this is my home. I, what else do I know? I, I'm, I'm from so-and-so place. or I'm proud of the fact that I'm a, a this or I'm a, a that. And in the world, there are all of those distinctions. But in Christ, there is no Jew, no Gentile, no slave, no free, no, no, no uh, Gideon, no barbarian no, no matter what type of person you were no matter what clan you've come from what race this uniting of those in christ through the baptism of the spirit it comes from whether well, it doesn't matter if you're jew or gentile it doesn't matter we're all one in christ and all of us are not a part of this world anymore we were part of this world i like what the verse in 19 says as it is you do not belong to the world i have chosen you out of this world that is why the world hates you you were in this world but not anymore god is the one that made the decision to choose you when did he choose you this is, goes to point number two they us were chosen out of this world ephesians 1 4 he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before the world was even created, you were chosen to not be a part of the things of this world. You have to just stop and think about that for a minute. Allow your mind to wrap around those that statement. Before time began, before the world was created, you, because of your, uh, got what God has chosen from eternity past, were chosen to be not a part of this world. Now, you know, the world began by the creation and, and, and so forth, and then there was some time that elapsed, and then God restored the earth in six days, and he created man in his image on, the, on this earth. And, and man began to flourish and reproduce. Obviously, there was the fall. And then man flourished and reproduced. And just as they were fruitful, they multiplied. And But all of those people that were born into this world were born a part of this world. As for you, says Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of this world, the prince of the power of the other rulers and so forth. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You were a part of this world as well. You participated with them. You were born in Adam, spiritually dead under the wrath of God, condemned, all of those things. But God chose you out. So when that baptism of the Spirit hits you, you were removed from this world. Your birth in Christ 
began your identification with Christ. Because when you were born again, simultaneously, you were also baptized by means of the Spirit, which identifies you with the person of Christ. So that's point number two. They, us, were chosen out of this world. Uh, whatever we have is out of this world. Uh, we could talk about the things that I have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. We could talk about the wisdom that God destined for our glory before time began. Out of this world. Not part of the things that are of this world. In fact, we have the injunction. Don't set your heart on the things of this world, but set them on things above where Christ is seated. Why where Christ is seated? Because you're identified with the person of Christ. That's why you ought to be thinking about what you and your destiny is all about. Not what is happening down here. Because what's happening down here is not a part of who we are. And we are on a mission. And the mission that we have is to be ambassadors for Christ. To be an ambassador for Christ is not just uh, a minister of reconciliation. But it is out there trumpeting the fact that if any man is in Christ, they're going to be part of this new creation. We are ambassadors for the new creation. Even though it is not different from what we had to do previous in previous dispensations, that is to give the gospel. The entrance into the church is by means of the gospel. So, we have been chosen out of this world. But now we're identified. This is point number three. They us are now identified with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. And Christ himself is not of this world. He is not of this world. For that, I want to go to John 17. And look. let's look at 14 through 18. John 17, 14. This is Christ's praying to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. So uh, this is the thought, just similar to what we just read in John 15. So Christ is speaking, we could say retrospectively, but no, in this case he is speaking futuristically because he's talking about what will happen to the church. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Now, when did that happen? That happened at Pentecost. That's what he has been building up to. That's what he is laying the introduction down for them to help them understand what is about ready, what is getting ready to happen in their lives. Imagine that. Something that we said how profound these chapters are because Jesus is laying a foundation here that will be built upon later. He says, I got much more to tell you, more than you can handle. But when the spirit of truth comes, I'll fill in all the details. So he says, uh, I've given them your word and the things that he has said 
that were coming and all that he knows is going to happen for them as a result of baptism of the Spirit and all those ministries, they don't belong to the world. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So just imagine, it didn't say, I'm not of the world, but they're sort of in the world, right? but they're not of it. No, we are definitely not in the world anymore. In the same way, Christ is not of the world. So how do we pattern our being not of the world? What do we pattern that after? Christ. Christ says, just like me, they are just like me. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. But I'm leaving them in the world. Here's the next verse. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Because he could. He has every right to do it. But that you protect them from the evil one. So this is us in the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Even though we're here. This is why I say it's a tough one for us of our human understanding to be able to grasp. Because we were born here. This, this feels like home. But we have these verses that tell us who we are. And who we are is what God made of us. We can't decide that we're going to be something that we're, we're not. We don't have the power to do that. But when God calls us to, to something, when God makes us something, then that's what we are. He has the power to create. And what he has done in the church is he has created many sons and he is bringing them into glory. The dynamics of these sons are that they are just like Christ. And even the life that we live is not life that's here. It's the resurrected life of Christ that we live. We, that we may share in his life. So my prayer is not to take them out of the world because they, they're here. I'm praying that, yeah, you protect them. Why do they need protecting? Because we already said the world hates us. The world hates them. And Satan, this goes beyond what is natural. It goes to the spiritual. Satan hates Christ. Just like when we think about Christ as the ruler of the world. Christ says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my, I would have called uh, legions of angels and they would have fought for me. I, mean, I would not have been captured by, you know, this, Christ is saying, that, but, but now my kingdom is not from this, from this world. There is a mission that we have, but it is not to conquer the world. I know a lot of Christian groups think it is, that somehow we ought to subdue this world with Christian principles and ideals and whatever their idea of Christian principles are. And then somehow, if we do that and subdue the world, Christ will eventually come. That's, that's not it at all. In fact, that's far from what's going to happen in this world. This world will get worse and worse. Evil seducers will, be, will get worse the world is wearing out. It's going to be destroyed. So conversely, that is what's going to happen. We can't save this world. It's doomed and destined for destruction. It will be destroyed. And the fact that it will be destroyed says what God thinks of this world. 
It's evil. It's run by Satan, who is the prince and power of the air. The spirit that is at work in those who are disobedient. Not only will Satan be thrown into the abyss, we're going to read that later in Revelation, but uh, the world will be destroyed. Well, God will have to remake the world and then destroy it eventually to, to rid the world, to cleanse the world of every vestige of sin and evil that ever was on this earth. He will recreate everything. He will destroy the world, the universe, and recreate it. That's easy work for God. Don't, don't worry. It's hard for us to think about, but for God, no problem. So where are we in John? Don't take them out of the world. They are, verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Two verses that talk about our identification with Christ, so much so that it changes our identity. We're no longer people who were born in this world, and that's where we're from. We are from or we hail from Christ. That's where we hail from now. Verse 17, sanctify them. Set them apart. How do we do so? Now, the, only, the way the world is going to know, because the world can't see what's in your heart. They can't see your spiritual life. Satan, he can. I'm not saying he, he can see you know, uh, spiritual things or understand spiritual things, but he knows that you are on God's side. He knows that you're no, you're no longer in the kingdom of his of darkness, that he has lost you. He knows that. So they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. How do you... Sanctify means to set us apart, them, and them, us, apart for God's purposes, his holy purposes. Set them apart. How? By the truth. That's the only way we're going to be set apart, by the truth. And what truth is that? That is the truth that Christ laid down in introduction form, where he says, I got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But he has already told them a lot. He talked about the dynamics of the spiritual life. He said he had to go away and the spirit was going to come. He said a lot. He talked about I and you and you and me and uh, on that day you will know and so forth. The Spirit will, he will teach you all things when he comes. Don't worry. He laid it down. So we are to sanctify them by the truth, not by the law, not by what Israel said, not by the revelation to Israel, but by the truth. And what truth are we talking about? Where the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. Remember, he's speaking futuristically about the church. All truth. That's that's the truth we are to be set apart. So when we think about that, unfortunately, the Christian world is stuck on the revelation from the Mosaic Law. And, and unfortunately, those people are of this world. They are not of not a, they are not a part of the church. So we are to be set apart by means of the truth. And what is truth? Your word is truth. This is the word he's laying down. We're getting ready to go through a dispensational change at Pentecost. Jesus had given them 
a great expectation of all of these things. Then he says in 18, as you sent me into the world, Christ came here. He had a mission. He had a clear understanding of what he was doing here. I have sent them into the world. So that's us. We have a mission. The church has, uh, God has expectations for the church, just like God the Father had expectations of Christ. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Christ is our Lord. So, I, I will end, I think we, there's much more. Well, you know what, one day we'll be on John 17. We'll be able to take these verses slowly and do a thorough examination of, of these verses, God willing. Point number four, Christ himself. Here's another reason why the world hates us. Christ himself, or, or the last Adam, as he's called in 1 Corinthians 15, is the new ruler of this world and will subdue Satan. So we know this. Um, why would Satan hate Christ? Well, he is going to uh, take over the reins of this world. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Let's look at it. Uh, verse 11 through 16 I saw, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war, or wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has the name, he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we know who this is. This is Christ literally coming out of the sky to not only rescue those who are waiting for them, but to judge the world and to take rulership. A chapter later, just a few verses later, chapter 20, verses 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him. To keep him from deceiving the nations any more, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must, set, he must be set free for a short time. So, for this reason, the world hates us. Listen, the world is under satanic control. We know that. We have studied that. We have looked at the scriptures that talk about it. Ephesians uh, 2, 1 through 3. 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 3 and 4. 
Uh, there's other passages that talk about Satan as the ruler of this world. Even Jesus said it in John 14. He says Satan's coming and he doesn't have any power over him. So let's move on in our notes. The world cannot accept the spirit of truth. So we talked about the world hates you. And the reason now is because you're going to be united with the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth or the spirit of reality. Truth is reality, but it is not the reality of this world. It's the reality of God. It's what God, what the purpose of, of God really is. That's what God's doing in heaven, is trying to execute this plan that he has. So we call it the spirit of truth, and this is what it says in John 14, 17. And I say the spirit of truth, he cannot... Uh, the world cannot accept the spirit of truth. It neither sees him nor knows him. The world has no clue what's in your heart, what God's eternal purpose is. And it rejects it. And I say, indeed, to note, the world cannot and will not accept us either because it can't uh, accept us because of the fact that we are united by means of the spirit of truth, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the next ruler of this world. And so I say it is yet another reason for us to love each other. Why? Because who else do we have in this world? I'll tell you who we have. We have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Spirit. And we also have each other. That's it. First John 5.19 says, we know we are children of God, and the whole world is under the power or control of the evil one. So, this is how God sees things. You might say, well, no, there's good people in the world. I think there's the world is good. I, I really feel proud that uh, I'm part of this or that uh, race or this or that political party or this or that part of the world or, or something but no the whole world, this is how god sees it that's why he says also in first john two fifteen, if if any man he says don't don't love the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him so why does he say that because loving the world is saying that you are loving the rulership of satan and his plan to thwart God and his government. That's what you're saying. You're, you're, without saying it, you are saying it by loving the world that you're loving what Satan has created in this world. And I can tell you, it is a mess. He, Whatever he touches turns to a mess. And if there is any beauty in this world, it is because of the remnant of of what is left from God's marvelous creation. It has nothing to do with Satan. He can only kill, destroy, and cause havoc. So, to the extent there is some beauty in this world, it is as a result of what God has done through creation, not what Satan has brought. And just remember, Satan is the ruler of the things down here. Don't love the world. Because this will be destroyed. All of this will be destroyed. Every Just look out your window right now. Look at a map. Whatever you want to do. 
all of this will be destroyed. That is our reality. And the world doesn't accept that. But the spirit of truth, reality of what God's thinking and his plan is, does. So that's, that's the, the whole point and, and point D. Point E, the world hated Israel too. So we're, we're not exclusive to say that we're the only ones the world hates. No, they hated Israel. We could see. In fact, the, Satan knew uh, that God had a plan. He just didn't understand what the plan was. Remember, the mystery information, as Paul relates to us, was hid in God, says Ephesians 3. Hid in God. No one knew it. Satan didn't realize what it was. We're not talking about salvation. Because the salvation plan was revealed to Adam and the woman in the garden after they fell. So we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about God's plan to bring many sons into glory. That plan that he talked about and thought about and, and uh you know, before time began, where he chose us in him and so forth. So, but God did all that. Satan responded by what he knew. He knew that God had a plan. He didn't know exactly what it was. So he not only hated God, but he hated those who were God's people. So Israel was certainly hated. And when we read Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we see this. Um, I'm going to read it. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Notice, that's of the world. right? A nation that is here in the world. You're going to be among the other nations, but you're going to be a great nation. What will God do? I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. Let's, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. And will, and whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, there will be people who hate Israel, but God will be against them. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ coming through Israel. That Revelation pictures Israel as a mother with 12 stars on her head and then she gives birth and so forth. A, a woman who gives birth, not a mother, but a woman who gives birth. This is by metaphor. But yeah, Satan began to realize that and there were all sorts of campaigns against Israel to destroy it. Uh, Satan was very heavy-handed. He says, well... It's going to come through Israel. Let's just destroy all of the Jews, period. Why don't we do that? Well, let's just kill them all. Very heavy-handed in his approach. So Israel was hated. The world hates Israel. There's no doubt about it. And even to today, when Israel is not a nation before God, I know people will say, yeah, but they are. No, no, they're not. Not under God. They're a nation, but they're not a nation under God. So what's going to happen when Israel in the tribulation? That's when I will turn away godlessness from Jacob. And, and then, that is when he will make his covenant known to them. And, and he will take away their sins. And, and, and they will be his people and so forth. 
that's not happening now. But it will in the future. Israel, uh, they, they are of uh, this world. They were, Israel was, and will be of this world. They continue to be of this world. And even though, so the difference is, yeah, all of God's people are hated. And we, we can all go all the way back to Cain and Abel, where Cain killed his brother because he was righteous. And so this is not something that only exists for the church, but even more so because God has revealed his hand. Right Now we can know what the Father's eternal purpose is. So Satan is furious with, with what God has done by bringing many sons into glory. We should know, like Peter said, your enemy, the devil, Satan, is like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. So let's keep moving so we know about Israel, but Israel is of the world. The difference is the church is not of this world. It's a big difference, and that's what we're talking about. Point F, the spirit of truth will help us with understanding our calling and the new role. Because there's no way we could understand this information, first of all, if it were not for the spirit of truth. Just like it says, what eyes have seen, what ear, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. But then in the very next verse, it says, but... God has revealed these things to us by means of his spirit. That's how we come to know what our true calling is, what our new role is. You will not know it otherwise. There's no other way to discover this information. It wasn't revealed at all before Pentecost. And after Pentecost, it began to be taught. But still, it was a part of, it's the church has a maturation process. The church could be in its infancy, it could be in its adolescence, it could be, uh, you know, mature. And that's what the goal is, that we are mature. All of us are mature in Christ. So the spirit of truth is helping us come to this understanding. It is not us. We have to depend, as we said in the opening, we have to have humility. Because he's leading us somewhere we have never been. It's not even familiar to us until the Spirit of Truth makes it so. Makes it a reality in our hearts. Point G. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So this part about hating your life, loving your life, right? All of those things refer to us and our attitude while we're living in this world. We, the world hates us, I would say we should reciprocate. We should make sure we don't love our life in this world because the world does not um, love us. The world hates us. What should be your attitude toward the world? Well, you should hate your life in this world. Right? Don't, we're not talking about the, the new life that we have talking about the old life that we had in Adam. That's what we should be hating. The new life in Christ, well, God has a mission for us. We're not part of the world. We're here to, to save those who are perishing. 
that's our objective, to be ambassadors for the new creation. This is part of who we are now. But what about your old life? You have to separate yourself from it. That is not who you are anymore. God has declared that you have a new identity. And this is, this is not something he created on the fly for you. He chose you in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, to stand before him as a son. He created you from eternity past. This is not an afterthought. This is the original thought of who and what God wanted out of creation. So this is the anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, the life that you think you have in Adam, what's going to happen to it? What if you cling to it? What if you think, well, this is the greatest. I'm going to accentuate who I am. Like Paul says, I have much to boast about. Circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin, right? All these things that he boasted. As far as the law was concerned, I was a Pharisee and all of the things. Paul says, I have lost it all for the sake of just being in Christ, not having a righteousness that is from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith. That's Paul losing his, he's doing the very thing Christ said. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. You will lose it because the world will be destroyed and you're clinging to that life, which is no value at all. While anyone who hates their life in this world, well, that means you you despise it. Like Paul says, I count it all refuse, dung, that I may know Christ. And that that is how, uh, that one verse is typifying how we ought to understand life in this world. That's John 12, 25. So let's keep going. If the world hates you, Point number two is keep in mind that it hated me first. So the first thought is Jesus came to fulfill the Father's plan and the world was opposed. So understanding that Jesus came and he had a mission and so forth, but we we talk about that Jesus came to fulfill the salvation plan. I know we talk about that as probably the most paramount thing that there is. And, and I must say, without Christ coming to fulfill the salvation plan, that there would be no church, there would be no salvation for anybody in the world. So yes, it's super important. But it is not God's eternal purpose. Now, of course, for those who are part of God's eternal purpose, absolutely, they are saved people. It is what God has called them to. It's what really counts in God's mind. He is seeing salvation as a detail. Now, I know that's like, wow, how could you say that? Salvation as a detail. When compared to the Father's eternal purpose. It's not the Father's eternal purpose just to save people. As I would always say, God didn't have to let people be lost in the first place. It is God's eternal purpose to bring many sons into glory. And when we start looking at what are these sons? Who are these sons? 
all of that. Listen, Satan understands what the mystery is now, and he hates God. You can bet. And now he has raised the game. Not only does he stop people from, he, he wants to cloud the way of salvation for those who are trying to come to uh, trust in Christ, because he does not want people to see it. I want to turn to it, Second Corinthians. I know it's not in my notes. Second Corinthians chapter 5. No, no, chapter 4. Sorry. Second Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 3 and 4. Maybe 5. So let's let's keep reading this because here's this verse has always been viewed in a salvific way. Right? It's always been about salvation, right? So here's how people look at it. The God the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now if we stop there. Some people will just forget about those last phrases and they will just say the gospel, the light of the gospel. So Satan's job, they say, is to hold people back from seeing the gospel. But this verse says more. This verse and this phrase that we're getting ready to read says that the age that we live in is so unique. The people that we have become, what God has made of us, the glory that's a part of of who we are in Christ is what Satan is really trying to hinder people from seeing. Let's read it again. And even if our gospel is veiled, now the gospel gets us into it. Just like I said, we are ambassadors for the new creation. Right? What is the new creation? We're sons. Right? All of that, the glory. So what gets us in the door? The gospel. And what is Satan trying to hide? The gospel, right? So he says he's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That Here, he could have stopped right there, but he didn't. That displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. All of that is who we are in Christ. Christ is the image of God. We are the image of God. Verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and we ourselves, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Your servants. For God, who said, light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of uh, displayed in the face of Christ. That's not salvation. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So then it talks about the suffering, hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So notice, if you think about what is Satan really trying to hide? The church age. He does not want people to see it because it accentuates the Father's eternal purpose and the glory that God 
is wanting, wanting to display in the face of Christ. We even have that in John chapter 17. I know I'm off. This is not in your notes. We even have this in John 17, where he says, um, in verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Notice, then the world will know. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. This is, this is the church that the world may know. Right? This is important. This is our destiny. Satan doesn't want Christ to, to be successful. So he threw everything he could at Christ. It wasn't just about the salvation plan. Yes, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But God used Christ, who is the image of God, to create these many sons. How did he do it? Through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So point B, let's keep going. Do not take it personal. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. Now think about it. A lot of times, you know, you could be firing on all cylinders, doing what you're supposed to do, uh, fulfilling, being filled with the Spirit, growing in grace, uh, in the knowledge of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and getting to that all truth that the Holy Spirit wants to bring us to. And and then persecution comes. So you might say, well, wait a minute, I must be doing something wrong because the world says, if you do the right thing, then the right thing will happen for you. But here, the opposite. The more you are godly in Christ Jesus and, and that's the way you live your life, the more you're going to be persecuted. Because why? You're on the battlefield. And just to note, in Philippians, actually it's, it's Philippians chapter 1. Here it says it at the end. Uh, verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, notice, but also to suffer for him. Verse 30, since you are going through the same struggling you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So these Philippians, these believers followed Paul, not only in the gospel and hearing uh, they were Gentiles, they heard about Christ, they came to believe in him, but they understood special calling that they had in Christ and the suffering that befell Paul was also a part of their experience but notice how Paul says this he didn't just say yeah it's going to hurt yeah things are going to be bad for you he says it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him it is a an honor 
to suffer with Christ in this world, on the battlefield, to identify with, the, with Christ and his sufferings as well. It's part of the experience that we have as believers. And listen, we're, for those who do, they will be rewarded, eternally speaking. So this is not about salvation. It's not only to believe in him, but also to suffer with him. So, so just to note, back to our notes, um, point C, because of our identification with Christ, this world is not our home. Uh, you should know that. And, and the reason why you should know it is it's not about you, it's about uh, Christ. So uh, Philippians chapter 3, since we're already in Philippians, verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior, from, a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly body so that they will be like his glorious body. So notice, we, we will be transformed into his image, and we will have and display the glory that he has. So this is this is not our home. Remember, we are not of this world. If it were, we would be citizens down here. Like Israel is a nation. They are part of this world. They are a nation of this world. But us? No, we're we're not. We don't belong down here. This is not our home. We're pilgrims, strangers from this world. And our citizenship, is, we are heavenly beings now. So we have to start understanding this identity. And remember, it is hard. But you say, well, I'm a heavenly being. What, what do I know about heaven? Well, that's why you ought to set your hearts on things above, not on things on this earth. So you can understand your true destiny, who you are in Christ. So this is a part of our experience. And 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2 also complements what we are saying here in Philippians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. This is why it says we belong there. This is going to be our home. Not just a temporary dwelling place like what we have here. The tent, the earthly tent we live in. What do we mean tent? A tent is a temporary dwelling place. You, you, you live in it for a while and then it's pitched. You, you, you roll it up and then you keep going. The tent is not you. The tent is just where you have access and experience in this world. The body is destroyed. If the tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. It's not part, not a part of what's happening down here. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. We will have a place where we fit where we belong. We are heavenly people, sons 
that are not of this world. So this is this when when all of this dawns upon you, then you could begin the process of your education in the new identity in Christ. You'll be exposed to all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You'll be exposed to uh, the Father's eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ, the manifold wisdom that is ours. All of these things will be a part of our heritage. That we may know the hope of the calling and we have received the glorious riches of his inheritance and the saints, the incomparably great power for us who believe. Right? All of this we will come to understand and realize about ourselves, about what God has made of us. So this is because of our identification with Christ. This world is not who we are anymore. Point D, we're moving forward. The quality of our suffering in this world is because of Christ, not because of our own doing. Now, let's just put this in perspective from Peter's point of view, 1 Peter 4, and verses 12 through 16. Let's look at it. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Remember, you're in the world. The world hates you. We got it. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. But rejoice, verse 13, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's the rewards even more on top of the glory that you will have. There will be rewards on top of that. If you are, so, so let's keep going from Peter's perspective. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory, of, the, of glory and of God rests on you. This is normal for the Christian experience in this world, in this age. If you suffer, then this is how you should look at it. Right? Take it, like, like our verse says, keep in mind. Right? This is how you ought to understand the normal course of the Christian way of life here in the world. I know a lot of people don't talk about it this way, especially with a lot of the ministries talking about prosperity, and if you believe in Christ, you'll be rich, and you won't have to worry about uh, physical problems. Uh, you, all you got to do is claim your healing, and then you're going to, I don't know what they think, you're going to live forever. It doesn't work. They die too. The people who espouse such things die. So I don't know how people continue to believe in something that is just proven wrong by the people who say it. So anyway, um, let's continue in Peter. However, verse 16, or 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. So now, now for, first of all, just understand, if you are one of those things, right, if, if you have done those things, then that's not to say that you can't suffer for Christ. 
But it is to say that if you're suffering as a result of being a murderer and they threw you in jail, or a thief and they threw you in jail, or any other kind of criminal, and you suffer as a result of it, that's not what he's talking about, suffering for Christ. Verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name as a believer, a Christian, a, those, those of us who are in this age. So this, that's why it's important for us to know this, that this is the part of our course, and that suffering just because you are weird or you've done something that is wrong according to society or the law, and now you're suffering, and then you oh, I'm suffering for Christ. You know, um, that's not what suffering is. You should distinguish that. Peter's making the point. He says, yeah, it's a glorious thing to suffer with Christ because you, you identify with him and his sufferings. But don't think because you've done things that are bad in this world, that the world considers bad, and now the world is punishing you, that that's suffering for Christ. That's not it. He has a lot more to say about that, too. But that's the point to make. So that's why I say the quality of our suffering in this world is because of Christ, not because of our own doing. And lastly, let's look at this. Unusual hatred of Jesus on display. I want to go to John 11 for this. And we're going to close here. John 11 uh, 45 through 50. Let's look at this. You know the story. The death of Lazarus. Right? And what happens. How Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And it's miraculous. Lazarus had been dead four days. It's not just that Jesus had stumbled upon this. It was all meant so that people there could understand who he was. Right? That through signs, wonders, and miracles, he raised this man who had been dead and who, after four days, they didn't even want to open the tomb. They questioned him. He said, well, wait a minute. He said, take away the stone. But Lord, Martha said, this is verse 39, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been dead there four days. So he was certainly dead. There was no question about it. And not only that, his body had... Be, had come to decompose and Martha was who was his sister is saying wait a minute Lord you're talking about rolling a stone away you really want to do that it wouldn't be good so Jesus said do it right? did I tell you did, did I did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God so they took away the stone so you know the story but I, I, and it's a fabulous story fantastic and just reading it. But when you go to verse 45, then you see the response. Let, let's just see this. Therefore, this is verse 45, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary <clears throat> had seen and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. Now, it's, they understand. They, they, listen, the signs that Jesus did were, un, they were undisputable. Nobody could dispute that he did this or that he did other signs. And this is 
a level of frustration that they have with Jesus. It's not that, that you know, they could say, well, you know, something must be really going on here. This man must be from God, like Nicodemus said. We know that you must be from God because nobody can do the things you're doing except God is with him. But no, this is, this is the hatred that they had. Listen to them. But they got together, they had this meeting, and this is what they were arguing. And what are we accomplishing, they said. Here is this man performing many signs. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. They will lose power. They are afraid of the results of people believing in Christ. I mean, they didn't want to lose their seat either. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, spoke up. He says, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than, than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the, nation, for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also uh, for the scattered children of God, bring them to, uh, to bring them together and make, <clears throat> and make them one. Now notice, John is mixing up what he knows to be true and what happened. He, he is not saying that the man prophesied, but he, what he said about Christ dying for... You know, let's sacrifice, even though we know that this man is doing these miraculous signs. Listen, we're gonna, even though it's wrong, but we're going to have to kill him. That's what they said in verse 53. So from that day, they plotted to take his life. Now this, that's hatred. I mean, here, this man is only doing good. He's healing all manner of sickness and disease. He's casting out demons. He, he's walking around preaching the word of God. And what do they want to do? Kill him. They know that's wrong. But they, they are compelled to do it anyway. There is a hatred that these people have. And it, it is beyond what they can see. So John, as we close, 15 go to John 15. Jesus says it here. 24 and 25. He says, if, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. There it is. It hated Christ first. Satan hated Christ. He, I mean, for the people on the ground that he was motivating and inspiring them to hate Christ, they didn't fully understand what they were doing. But Satan did. He knew that. He felt like if he got Christ and he threw everything he could at him, that he might somehow gain the victory. He was wrong. Christ triumphed over him by means of the cross. 
defeating Satan and all of his angels. So this is our heritage. This is the story of not only how Christ was hated in this world, but listen, Christ says, I'm not taking him out of the world, but please protect him from the evil one. I, just as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. So here we are. So as we understand these verses that are going to unfold to us, it's helpful to have a good overview of this. We're going to have to stop today. We will continue next week with verse 19. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are privileged and honored to be in this world, even though it is tumultuous. It is dangerous. And the world is in opposition towards us, along with the ruler, the enemy, Satan. So, Father, as we know this, we recognize that we are serving you, that this is why we're here, that we have an opportunity to say thank you. And that not only we respect your choices, but we love you. And we know that all things are working for the good of all of us who are called. We thank you for allowing us to serve you in this way. And we realize that our service may result in our death. It may result in our suffering. But we know that no matter what happens, the moment we close our eyes, even in death, we're going to be present with you. Father, give us the understanding so that we can throw off all that hinders and that we can wholeheartedly serve you in this world. There's a lot of things happening in this world, a lot of passions that are consuming many, and we pray that we will have your hope as our passion, your vision, your understanding your plan. So as we pray that you will keep us in this world so that we can continue to uh, preach the gospel and to bring those to the knowledge of the truth. This is going to be our objective as we continue to grow in grace and in, his, in the knowledge of our Lord. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.